You're listening to the Man Project Podcast with your host, Ted Rice. Would you like to be bigger, leaner, and stronger? Do you want to develop the confidence to go after what you want in life? Or how about becoming the man that women want to be with? We're here twice a week to empower you to reach your full potential so you can live life on your own terms. Subscribe to our podcast or download our free app in the iTunes Store or Google Play. Find it all at manprojectpodcast.com. Now, back to the show. As men, we're constantly bombarded by ads for testosterone replacement on TV, as well as testosterone-boosting supplements in our favorite health and fitness magazines. You've probably heard about the generational decline of testosterone in American men. How a man today has less testosterone than a man of the same age just several decades ago. And about the chemicals in our environment that are attacking men's testosterone levels, making us fatter, more feminine, and destroying our energy and health. But how many of those claims are true? And how many are just playing on our fears to profit off of selling us supplements and hormone replacement therapy because we fear that we are becoming lesser men? That's what my guest today is going to cover. His name is Dr. Brian Walsh. He's a naturopathic physician who specializes in weight loss for men who are not losing the fat with good diet and exercise programs. And he's going to answer your questions and clear up the confusion about testosterone, the myths versus the reality. Enough talk. Let's get to the interview. All right, Dr. Brian Walsh, welcome to The Man Project. Thanks so much, Ted. It's, it's really great to be here. Absolutely. And we like to get that motivational ball rolling. So do you have a quote that you can share for us to get things started? Sure. There's quite a few, but one that I've sort of tried to keep in my head for, I don't know, the past couple decades is to live every day as if you'd live 100 years and die tomorrow. And what that basically means is if you think about how you would live your life if you were to live 100 years, is you'd live your life with moderation and you know, you'd eat the right things and you'd make sure to exercise and do all these things. But then if you think about if you were to die tomorrow, how you'd live your life, you wouldn't get angry about things that you normally would get angry about or stressed out about certain things because you'd be gone tomorrow. And I think that ultimately it's living life successfully is balancing between the two is not having anything, knowing that you might go tomorrow and that's the reality. And so not to hold on to these things that we hold on to, but there's also the reality that we may live a hundred years. So we want to be able to, that it's a good, clean, healthy life. So somehow try to strive that balance. I don't know that I've done that yet, but that's why I keep that quote in mind. Yeah, that's a great quote and powerful advice. And definitely I try to do the same thing, but in a world with all the distractions and information coming at us, it's becoming harder and harder to do that. But that's what this whole show is about, is rising up to whatever challenge. So awesome, man. I'm already pumped up. Let's talk about what you and I, well, actually, before that, let's get into a little bit of your background so everyone listening understands where you're coming from. So what type of professional are you and how'd you get into this whole idea of 
fat is not your fault and all the hormonal issues that you're an expert in. And can you just tell the listeners about your background? Yeah, I'll just keep it short, but I'll start at the beginning. Years ago, I was a fitness professional. I was a personal trainer and I was very much in the exercise myself. And I think that that's what draws a lot of people to that profession. I quickly, however, got into some other things as well. I kind of got into the more corrective exercise aspect of being a fitness professional. I was starting to read about, you know, some of these holistic type topics back in the day and diet and some things that weren't necessarily conventional. Doing orthopedics as a fitness professional, I then became a massage therapist to kind of do both things with clients and was really starting to get into, like I said, diet and vitamins and minerals and just all sorts of interesting stuff. And I was having my clients ask me about things like diet and ask them about hormones as most, you know, fitness professionals and massage therapists get. And I felt like I wasn't really qualified to do that, to talk to them about that. So I decided to go to naturopathic school and I considered medical school as well, but I thought I would just get really frustrated going through medical school. So I opted for naturopathic school, which for those that don't know, it's a four-year accredited medical degree essentially. But instead of focusing on disease, it focuses more on health, if you will. And that's really one the primary difference is that the body's pretty good at being healthy as long as it's given what it needs and you can get rid of what could otherwise damage it and it's the right environment to be healthy. So that led to naturopathic degree and I can honestly say the education kind of sucked and <laughs> I left not really prepared, I think, to have a practice and I met my wife there actually. So we hopped back down to Maryland afterwards, started a practice. And I quickly realized when I was dealing with patients that I really didn't know as much as I wanted to know. And something else that was really important to me was be able to talk to the conventional medical establishment, believing wholeheartedly in nutrition and natural medicine. But to do so, you need to speak their language. And so I have spent years now, and now it's become more of a passion, just really delving into the science and what Western medicine does teach, because there's a lot of really good things in Western medicine, but then they also fall short. And I will quickly say that alternative medicine, it's the same thing. They have some really strong points, but alternative medical practitioners fall short all the time. And so to summarize and really answer your question as succinctly as possible, what I try to do more than anything is bridge the gap, is to use the science that's there, but to look at it in a sort of natural or more alternative way, if that makes sense. You know, what we have to be thankful for for Western science is these amazing studies that are being done daily on mechanisms and pathways and all these things. But as anybody who's gone to the doctor will tell you, they aren't really putting some of these things together and they're not looking at some of the, the more, and I hate to use the word natural because then automatically you start to think of, you know, like hippies and tie-dyed shirts and <laughs> Birkenstocks and that's not it. You know, there's a lot of great science behind nutritional medicine and behind certain supplements and, you know, the roles of vitamins, minerals, and even herbs. And it's not frou-frou stuff anymore. So I try to bridge the gap. I try to live in a little bit in both worlds. So using the conventional medicine, conventional science, but then using that information with a more natural, I guess, approach to try to get people to feel better. Yeah. And that's why I asked you to be on the show today. And that's why I respect you so much, because right now in the health community, there's basically two types of people. There's the so-called evidence-based people where if there's not a research study saying that this works and it has no flaws in the study and it hasn't been repeated and other studies, then 
people just are like, there's no evidence. It's probably crap. And then you get more hippie, tie-dyed people like talking about things that most people would say are just pseudoscientific. But I'm with you, Brian. I've had a lot of benefits from dabbling in both worlds as well. I mean, as a consumer, not as a person who treats people, but I've been benefited hugely by alternative methods and also, you know, antibiotics kill bacterial infections pretty well. So that's so awesome. And let's talk about the subject today that we went over before we hopped on and started recording testosterone. Man, there is so much about it. As men, they're trying to sell us testosterone patch. The pharmaceutical companies and maybe doctors are trying to sell us testosterone patches. The supplement industry is trying to sell us, you know, supplements that are going to boost our testosterone levels. And let's get into the nuts and bolts of what the consumer, what the men listening need to know about testosterone, how to check it, how it affects our life. What's the realities? What's the hype? What do we really know, Brian? I love that topic because there are a few topics out there today that sort of rival this whole issue of testosterone. That's exactly what you just talked about. There is some really good science about some of it, but the medical doctors in Western medicine, they're totally ignoring some basic physiological pathways and mechanisms. They're not even considering those things, even though it's in their literature. On the other hand, like you just said, there are more crazy claims <laughs> out there and supplements. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was doing an interview with, it was a magazine. It was on this issue of testosterone and I didn't know this. I don't read their magazine, but I told the guys like, you know, here's an example. There's no such thing as a testosterone boosting diet. I'm sorry that that's just ridiculous. It's designed to make money. And it turns out they had written some articles on testosterone boosting diets, which I didn't know Ooh. about. But that's the point, man. That's why I love this topic. I'll just leave it at that. I love this topic because there is some really hard science, concrete information that is proven and validated that we can talk about. And then there's just a bunch of just absolute garbage out there that is wasting people's money. And it's kind of giving them false hopes about what some of these supplements can do. So, and I will add one more thing for men. There is no more poignant topic than this one, because this is what makes a man a man, essentially. And the problem is we don't know, really, how many guys statistically are suffering either from hypogonadism, which is low testosterone, or low testosterone symptoms. Because if that's the one thing that makes a guy a guy, and we don't like to talk about stuff we're not going to go seek a doctor. I mean, what, you're going to go into a doctor and say, my sex life sucks, my mojo sucks, I can't get an erection. That's embarrassing. And so we don't even have accurate statistics on how many men are suffering from this. Yet, you know, you look at the media today, you look at Hollywood, and we have all these like buff, tan, testosterone men, and that's the image that we're supposed to upkeep, and so many of us aren't. And it gets really embarrassing and really frustrating. So I say all that because I think there's no more important topic for men than this one. So I'm glad we're doing it. Wow. I did not know you felt like that, that you've made some awesome points. So let's get into it. You've said that there is no testosterone boosting diet. Although I've heard in the past that if you have a low fat diet, it can affect your testosterone levels. What are your thoughts on that? And let's hear some other myths that we can bust right now. Yeah. So I guess to start, you really just have to go down to the basics of how is testosterone produced 
everybody knows where it's produced, but what's really the basic pathway? And I can just kind of briefly go through this, and we can go into more depth later. But it all really starts, if you will, in the brain. That in the brain, we have a couple parts, the hypothalamus and the pituitary, and they secrete their own hormones. And it's based on feedback. So let's say you have low testosterone. The brain senses that, if you will. The pituitary gland, which is part of your brain, sensing that low testosterone puts out luteinizing hormone or just LH. Now the testes, and there's a specific cell in the testes that's mostly responsible for testosterone production, receives that luteinizing hormone. And these are just cells. And we have to have healthy cells in order to do this. And that's where I'm going to get to in just a second. So in the presence of luteinizing hormone, assuming that everything's working well, then that cell, just picture one cell doing this right now, takes cholesterol. It can either make it or it can pull it in from the blood and converts that through a series of enzymatic steps, including the first steps in the, or a couple of them are in the mitochondria, by the way. And I'm not sure if you've talked about mitochondrial dysfunction at all. I'm sure you've heard about it. But if the mitochondria is working well, then it takes in this cholesterol. And like I said, a few enzymatic steps later, the testes or the cell in the testes releases testosterone. So then the question is, is what's going to boost that? And the reality is, is there's nothing to boost testosterone levels because the cell is going to make what it makes as long as everything is working properly. So there's no such thing as a testosterone boosting diet per se, because the healthier the cells are, they're going to make testosterone, period. If there's any dysfunction in the cell at all, now you brought up a low fat diet, you know, you could talk about vegan diets as well. If the cells are not getting what they need, if the cells are dysfunctional, if the cells are being damaged by something, then they don't make the testosterone they're supposed to be making. And that's only one small piece of this. There's other that we'll talk about, about conversion of hormones and the enzymes and estradiol and DHT and these other things. But if we're just talking about testosterone, a guy's body doesn't need to boost testosterone if the body is healthy in the first place. So what's the diet to boost testosterone levels? It's a healthy diet. And low-fat diet is not a healthy diet. In my opinion, a vegan diet is not the healthiest. I think that you can do it and be healthier than some junk food vegetarians or junk food vegans. But a healthy diet, and we all know what that is. It's you know a certain amount of protein, certain amount of healthy fats, lots of vegetables, moderate fruit, making sure you're hydrated, fiber. This is not new information. That is a testosterone-boosting diet because that is what's going to make the cells all out throughout the body, including in the testes, healthier, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, that would be hard to market. (laughs) It doesn't. It's not sexy. I mean, how many diet books, if you go on Amazon right now, there's loads of them. And honestly, they all say almost the same thing. The only place they vary is in the macronutrient ratios pretty much. But show me a diet book that doesn't talk about fiber, water, healthy protein, healthy fat, and lots of vegetables. They all say the exact same thing. But you're right. It's not sexy. So they have to put some little funky spin on it. But that is a testosterone-boosting diet. That's a brain-boosting diet. That's an anti-aging diet, if you want to put it that way. But supplying our cells of our body with the stuff that it needs for them to do what they do, that's a testosterone boosting diet, if that makes sense. Yeah. And let's go back to what you said about the cells getting what they need. And it's all about having healthy cells and getting enough of the raw materials through our diet, our lifestyle, to make sure that we're producing testosterone as much as our cells can. So the limiting factor there is those cells in our testicles 
And you said also in the mitochondria of the cells, which I haven't really talked about mitochondria too much. Mitochondria, if you're listening and you don't remember from, you know, biology is just the what are called the powerhouses in your cells. They're the things that create ATP, create energy. So Brian, are you kind of saying like we have these cells, each man has these cells that produce only a certain amount of testosterone and will not necessarily produce more if we throw more, like if we're already healthy and we throw more, I don't know, zinc or whatever, any supplement marketed or any substance marketed as a testosterone boosting supplement, it's not necessarily going to create more testosterone. That's kind of what limited by genetics or no, see the body is really smart and the body knows. I mean, I knows in quotes that certain things in excess are not good for it. And so let's just take an extreme example. So let's say, you know, you take a bodybuilder who does quite a bit of steroids. The first cycle, they usually get the best results and on the smallest amount of testosterone necessary. But then the next cycle, they need more. And that's because the receptors that bind to testosterone start to downregulate. They slow down. Why? Because the body has a certain intelligence to it. And it says, you know, I only need a certain amount of testosterone, regardless of how much we want as men. The body knows, you know, there's a certain amount that there's a window that I'm happy with. And if it gets too high, then I'll start shutting down receptors because that's just too much testosterone stimulation to the cells in my body. And if it gets too low, then usually it tries to increase that to some degree. So it's the same with thyroid hormone and a number of different hormones. You just mentioned ATP. ATP is the currency of the body. It's the energy or the electricity of the body. It's the thing that the cells use to do what those cells do. Now, is there an upper limit for ATP production in the body? <laughs> and the question is absolutely. Logically, it doesn't make sense because you think, well, I want as much energy as I can possibly handle. Sure. But the cells have a window of ATP that they like. And if they start to get a lot, then they start to do other things. They go into more like storage mode, for example. So there's the body. I mean, people use the term homeostasis, but there's a window for most things that the body tends to like. And it will regulate those things to the best of its ability. So, you know, you mentioned zinc. Zinc will increase testosterone in men that are zinc deficient because zinc is required when we talk about, they're called Leydig cells, L-E-Y-D-I-G. The Leydig cells in the testes are what make testosterone. Zinc is required as a part of that process. So if a guy has low testosterone or low testosterone symptoms and he's zinc deficient and he takes zinc, then it's going to likely increase testosterone if that was the mechanism. Everybody's heard of tribulus. Sure. Tribulus, turns out, one of its mechanisms is increasing luteinizing hormone production in the pituitary. So if you have a guy who has low testosterone and it's because he has low luteinizing hormone coming from the pituitary, tribulus may actually help him out. In those of us that have normal testosterone levels and normal luteinizing hormone levels, tribulus isn't really going to boost it up much. Again, the body, it has a window for which it likes these things. And there's no herb or nutritional supplement that's strong enough to undermine normal physiology or whatever you want to call it, mother nature. That mother nature is smarter. You can throw all sorts of stuff. And if it's too much, zinc or, or whatever, they'll just get rid of it. It's not going to make more testosterone. So you can basically choose the testosterone boosting supplement. And I will tell you that it will work in some people, but the people that it works on, that's where their deficit is. So I think that made sense, hopefully, that 
If you have low luteinizing hormone, tribulus might be something to give it a try. If you're zinc deficient, then zinc might actually help you. But if you're not, then taking it's not going to do anything extra. No, that made so much sense. So basically, yeah, if you have everything that you need from your diet, from your lifestyle, everything that you're taking good care of yourself, there's not really a way to boost yourself beyond that short of maybe drugs, right? Steroids. But if you happen to be a guy who is deficient in zinc or in luteinizing hormone, or what about magnesium, vitamin D? I've also read some stuff about that. If you're deficient in those things, boosting it back up to the appropriate level that your body wants is good. But what I hear you saying, Brian, is you got to know what is going on with your hormones, first of all. Yeah, we'll talk about that part. Just before I forget, I want to just talk about these cells one more time. We'll definitely talk about a panel that you can run and what hormones to look at. But just getting back to this cellular thing, which is speaking to what you were just commenting on, the cells of the body need three things in order for them to function properly. And this pretty much goes for any cell of the body. One is they need the fuel, fuel to make energy. And that fuel, it depends on what cell you're talking about, but is usually glucose. It can use amino acids, but it's something that it can combust into energy. The other thing it needs, though, is it needs oxygen in order to do that. And then maybe even more important than those is this is where a lot of vitamins and minerals come in so that you can actually turn glucose into energy or you can turn fatty acids into energy or proteins or use oxygen, if that makes sense. So step one is the substrate, but also is the right vitamins and minerals to use that substrate and combust it into energy, if that makes sense. That's the first thing that cells need. They need energy, like if... Your house needs energy to run it. You need electricity. If you don't have electricity, then stuff's not going to run. The second thing that cells need, in addition to substrate and minerals and vitamins to use that substrate, is to get rid of things that would otherwise damage it. And this is a huge topic when it comes to testosterone. Things that could damage a cell on a fundamental level are reactive oxygen species or free radicals. Everybody's heard of, you know, antioxidants and free radicals. There's evidence in research suggesting that the supposed age-related decline in testosterone is maybe related to excess oxidative stress as men age. Because it speaks to the fact, again, this is fundamental stuff, but it's, God, it's so important. One is the cells need fuel. They need to be able to make energy and they need the vitamins and minerals to do it. Two is you need to get rid of the stuff that could damage a cell. A damaged cell is a non-testosterone producing cell. So reactive oxygen species, toxins, chemicals, which is no longer, again, sort of this frou-frou, everybody's toxic, you're going to die thing. There is some amazing research on specific chemicals and specifically how it disrupts testosterone synthesis. Wow. And then the third one, and I'll tell you about that story in a second. Yeah. The third one is that it has to have, the cells have to have the right environment to function properly, which means things like proper pH balance. If the pH is off, then enzymes don't work properly. And cell hydration or osmolarity, which is essentially the hydration status of the cell. It's really fundamental. But those three things are what cells need to do what they're supposed to do. Again, that could be a neuron in your brain. That could be one of your stomach cells making hydrochloric acid. That could be an epithelial cell of your big toe. It doesn't matter. 
that those three things are what all cells need to do what those cells do. So anybody seeking to optimize any part of their physiology, which is, again, could be brain function, could be that you have bad skin, could be that you have low testosterone. First and foremost, before people start doing testosterone boosting supposed exercise, or testosterone-boosting supplements, or testosterone-boosting diet, is to try to make the cells of your body healthy. Because if we can give the cells what they need, reduce the things that could otherwise damage the cells, and make sure that the environment is right, then you will be doing more towards optimizing your testosterone and all your physiology, quite frankly, than any supplement could ever do. Yeah, you're echoing what we state here on the MAN Project. Of course, it all starts with that. What about, well, you know, I almost want to ask you about certain foods. I found a difference from adding uh, Brazil nuts, from adding pumpkin seeds to my diet regularly. Maybe I was deficient in something that those things are providing. But is there anything that, you know what, Brian, it really comes back to what you already said, that substrate and the vitamins and minerals to make it happen. So therefore, you got to know what's going on. You know, the obvious thing is to get your hormonal panel done, but also, man, you know, it's such a point of contention in the health and fitness industry about vitamins and minerals. Can we test them? Do we know what's optimal? I mean, it's a big mess. It's a huge mess. One, there's some ideas as to what is optimal. I will tell you that the RDA, the Recommended Dietary Allowance, is a starting point. And okay. by no means is for optimal function. This is the state of affairs that we're in when it comes to, I and mean, we can keep talking about testosterone. I'm not surprised that as many men have the testosterone issues that they do. Because let's just take, for example, the RDA. So the RDA, it's not exactly how they do it, but what they try to do is prevent deficiency in the majority of the population. Now, preventing deficiency and sufficiency or optimal levels are two different things. You know, deficiency is what your body needs so that you don't get a disease, like vitamin C and scurvy or you know, beriberi <laughs> and pellagra and some of these things. But that by no means is looking at optimal levels because again, there's a window, man. I mean, if you drop down a certain level, you're gonna get an overt disease like scurvy. But that's not to say that if you don't have scurvy that your vitamin C levels are optimal. So the RDA is a starting point, but here's, this is the state of affairs, man. God, this is so bad. So when they look at, when I say they, this is the government. And if the government's saying <laughs> something, and they're usually really conservative with these kind of things. So if the government is suggesting this, then I think it's even worse than we realize. What they do is there's a number of vitamins and minerals that have been found to be deficient in the vast majority of the population. Things like magnesium, selenium's right. a big one. B6 is a huge one. B6 is used with steroid hormones as well. And But what they do is they don't test people's blood or cells for the levels of these things. What they do instead is they look at their diet and they track their diet for a certain period of time. And then we know how much magnesium is in whatever it is that they're eating. So then they calculate how much of these different vitamins and minerals these people are actually consuming. And people are not even meeting the RDA for these things. And the RDA is, like I said, it's a starting point. That should be the bare minimum that people go for. That's a so, C student, if you want to put it in school oh, terms. Man. You're a I mean, C yeah. You're getting by. You're not failing. But, yeah, you're not thriving. You're not I kicking ass. I would even ass. say a, a D because <laughs> they're not even eating the RDA. And the RDA, arguably, is kind of low in the first place. So no wonder our cells aren't able to do what they're supposed to do. And one of them is magnesium. 
magnesium, and that's a big one. You mentioned Brazil nuts. Selenium is important. I won't get into this, but selenium is important for, let's just say, the ability for your body to use its most potent intracellular antioxidant, which is glutathione. And if going back to healthy cells, number two was to get rid of stuff that could otherwise damage the cells, like oxidative stress or reactive oxygen species. We make our own antioxidants, and one of those potent ones is glutathione. You need selenium to be able to use glutathione, and there's a huge growing, I should say, body of research when it comes to testosterone production that is pointing to this chemical toxicity issue, mitochondrial dysfunction. And by the way, that's where you find a lot of glutathione is in the mitochondria to protect it so it can make energy. And when you have energy in a cell that it can make stuff better. So reactive oxygen species, chemicals, and all these other things. So is selenium a testosterone boosting mineral? I'm going to say no. Directly, it's not. But indirectly, absolutely. I mean, by, if you're deficient in selenium, you can't use your own body-produced antioxidants. If you can't do that, you start to damage your cells. When the cells get damaged, how much testosterone do you think damaged cells make? So this gets back to the whole testosterone-boosting diet, no such thing, but a healthy diet might actually help. You know, things like Brazil nuts or pumpkin seeds have a lot of zinc in them, incidentally. So at any rate... I think I'll just leave that part there. But it's just critically important to understand how these cells work and supply the cells with what they need so that they can make what they're supposed to be making. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the age-related decline in testosterone. Right. There is evidence that suggests that that's just simply not true. In people that it does happen, it's been suggested that it's because of illness, inflammation, excess oxidative stress, or, for example, increased sex hormone binding globulin. But there are some studies that suggest that age-related testosterone decline is not accurate, that it should not be going down as much as it's going down. Well, Brian, I've actually read that as well. But what I was referring to is there's one study, and it's kind of weird. It's done in one town, I think. But this study is what a lot of people in the health and fitness industry have used to say there's a generational decline, meaning my grandfather at the same age as me had more testosterone and his father, like each generation testosterone is declining. And I mean, maybe there are more studies, but the one I looked at was, and by the way, I'm no interpreter of studies, but I have enough of a scientific background to understand like, well, it was only done in a town and it was done in like a town looking over like, I don't know, a hundred years or maybe it was 60 years. I forget exactly, but they just saw like your dad had more testosterone. His grandfather had more testosterone at the same age. His father had more testosterone at the same age. So that's what I was referring to. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I absolutely think that that exists. And not only from a study that's just done in one town is obviously there's some potential errors with that or confounding variables. But there's been a decline in sperm production, for example. And these studies have done worldwide. You know, I mean, they do it in places like Denmark and they've seen a progressive decline in sperm production. Now, when you get into the testes, there's a couple of things to consider. One is going back to these chemicals and the toxins and the oxidative stress. That can definitely lower sperm production. But... There's another type of cell, this is pretty awesome, inside the testes that makes sperm. Their neighboring cells are the testosterone-producing cells, the Leydig cells. The sperm cells, or I should say, yeah, the sperm cells make sperm with FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone from the pituitary, but testosterone ramps that up. In other words, 
Testosterone is kind of like a booster of sperm production. It's not required per se, but when testosterone's around and it's high, then sperm production, it ramps up even more. So then the question is why? Why this decline in sperm counts in men over the past 50 years or so? I think that a very possible and probable, I should say, cause of that is low testosterone as well. You know, and talking about that is a whole other discussion because is it really low testosterone or is it other things like high estrogen? Is it possible for a man to have normal testosterone, high estrogen, and have low testosterone symptoms as a consequence? And absolutely. So it's not really just about one hormone, although that's what everybody talks about. It's really about the balance of all these hormones. For example, you know, you mentioned pumpkin seeds. One of the things that you can find in pumpkin seeds is what's called a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, and that decreases the conversion of testosterone to DHT, and DHT is 10 times more potent than testosterone. So if a guy has too much DHT, he might actually have low testosterone symptoms because it downregulates these androgen or testosterone receptors. So it's really about the big picture and you know what you're doing by eating feeling better, taking the Brazil yeah, nuts. Yeah, my, my sex drive is up when I take them. I mean, to be frankly, well, uh, listen, to, but, to be but maybe frank that's with it. it. You yeah. know, maybe you're somewhat zinc deficient. I have no idea. And maybe you're blocking the conversion of testosterone to DHT. Who knows? I mean, it's hard to really say, which actually speaks to your question that I didn't address as well. You can't really test vitamin and mineral levels. I'll just say that kind of as a blanket statement. There's a couple labs out there that suggest that they can, but... Like Spectracell. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't run... Personally, I've never have and doubt I ever will waste my patient's money on that test. It's an interesting concept. And this is a whole discussion for another time. But, you know, by looking at white blood cells only, does that really speak to these levels? So, no. You really have to go by symptoms. And ultimately, is just trying to follow a really good, healthy, varied diet. And you're probably covering most of your bases. But in that point, you might want to see somebody who's a little bit more skilled. But, no, that's the frustrating thing. There's no real solid way of testing for some of these minerals and nutrients. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've talked a lot about the background and understanding the cells and understanding what the cells need, whether that's a Leydig cell in our testicles that makes testosterone or whether it's an epithelial cell in our toe is used for an example. Let's get into some practical stuff now. I'm a guy, I'm concerned about my health. I'm 37. I want to live a great life. I want my sex drive to be up. I want my energy levels to be up for me and all the other men who are listening right now. What do we need to do to figure out where we are and to figure out what we need to do to get optimal? Sure. Well, the first thing, and we've already talked about this, is just to follow. You don't even need any testing initially. If you're not feeling as man-like as you'd like to, you can go get tested, but it really requires taking a good solid look at your life. I mean, are you getting enough sleep? What are your stress levels? What kind of diet are you eating? You know, are you over consuming alcohol? Are you surrounded by, you know, excess chemicals? Again, I hate to be the like quote unquote naturopath that keeps talking about these chemicals and toxins, but it's totally well established the effects of these things on the body and testosterone production, by the way. So, you know, I would say step one is if you're not feeling 
the mojo as much as you would like, then take a really honest evaluation of yourself, your life, your lifestyle, and see if there's anything that you can make improvements on. Because being sedentary, not exercising, sitting around, staying up really late at night, drinking excess alcohol, following a shitty diet, all these things are going to be not in your favor when it comes to testosterone synthesis, brain function, feeling like a man. So first and foremost, you don't have to do any testing. Just make some of those changes. Start taking a multivitamin. Start taking some fish oil. Try to fix up your gut if you need to. Digestive enzymes, whatever it might be that is not working properly. And then another one I will tell you, sex drive is good, but morning erections, and this pun is intended, is a good sort of measuring stick of your testosterone that you should have a morning erection more frequently than not during the week. And if you don't have morning erections, then that's a pretty good sign that maybe that things are not necessarily well in the testosterone arena. If you have a morning erection every day, then honestly, I don't even, it's probably fine. You probably don't even need to get tested. It's a pretty, it's obviously isn't, there's no studies, I don't think, on morning erections and testosterone levels, but <laughs> would be interesting. But no, I think that that's pretty good. Then if you do want to get tested, and this is going to require you to get into some pathways a little bit. One, the best test that you could do is something that will look at all the hormones that are related to testosterone. And I'm going to map out the pathway a little bit here. I already mentioned luteinizing hormone. I think to run hormones and not measure luteinizing hormone is ridiculous. I don't know why anybody would do that because if testosterone comes back low, the big question is why. That's what anybody, any doctor, any patient should look at and say, why is the testosterone low? And that requires a little bit of digging, but it's not that hard. One could be low luteinizing hormone. If the pituitary is not making luteinizing hormone, guess what? The testes aren't going to make testosterone because they're not being told to. It may be as easy as that. Then, and people can look up some of these steroid hormone pathways on the internet if they need to, but the way I try Don't to- Don't you actually have a video series- Oh, probably on that, I wa- Okay, I'll try to find it because I thought it was so interesting how you broke down each pathway. And oh, you know what? I might have done, done it for precision nutrition. That's what I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the best way to describe this is if you can picture a series of ponds, like little bodies of water, little ponds. In between these ponds or body of water, there's a little stream in between each one. So imagine, just take it away from testosterone for a second. A farmer goes out to these, he checks his ponds every morning. And one morning he walks out there and one of the ponds doesn't have any water in it. Well, what would that farmer do? He'd probably say, well, why? And he would probably look upstream to see if maybe there was a dam or something blocking water coming from one pond to the next. Or he would look downstream to see if for whatever reason those streams were flowing faster. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It is literally as simple as that. And the fact that we can imagine a farmer logically doing this and not scratch our head and wonder why we would do such a weird thing, doctors are not doing that. So the pond and stream analogy works really well for hormones. If you go upstream in the testes, they take cholesterol, and there's a few hormones in between that I won't say, but we have androstenedione. People probably remember androstenedione from, what was his name, Mark Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire, yeah. Right. That's all I was taking because it technically about a step away from becoming testosterone. So that's pond number one. There's a stream going from androstenedione into testosterone. And then that's the next pond. And there's two streams leaving testosterone, one towards DHT and the other one towards estradiol, or we can just say estrogen. And there's more ponds and streams. But if a guy is going to get a hormone panel, 
you may as well look at the upstream hormones and all the downstream hormones because if testosterone is low, the question is why. One guy might not have enough luteinizing hormone vitamin. Another guy might have too much androstenedione and it's not converting into testosterone. Another guy may have low testosterone because it's going too much of it's going into estrogen or estradiol. Another guy might have low testosterone because it's going into DHT. And the one thing to mention is testosterone circulates around the body attached to sex hormone binding globulin, which is a protein made in the liver. If that's really high, then that guy's testosterone or free testosterone is going to be low also. And there's more defects than that. But I just named about six or seven guys, all with the exact same marker on their blood chemistry, low testosterone. But if you don't look around at the rest of the markers as to what might be going on, Every one of those guys has a different treatment. Every one of those guys may benefit from different supplements or different drugs or whatever it might be. But you don't know that unless you look around at the rest of the ponds, if that makes sense. I mean, it'd be an idiot farmer if he just walked out there, saw his low pond and just started putting water into it. Every morning he goes out there, where's my water in this pond? Well, let me put a hose in there and just fill it back up. It's ridiculous. The guy would look around and be like, why is it low? But we never do that with testosterone. We just say, it's low, you need testosterone. And I'm assuming it's a male show, I can cuss, but that's bullshit. That's (laughs) myopic, it's ignorant, it's horrible medicine, and it's not helping anybody. So what I would recommend is one clean up the life, clean up the diet. If you're not exercising, exercise, don't over-exercise, sleep, stress. I would even say, you know, happiness, relationships, all that stuff. Those things can impact testosterone. Use the morning erection as your measuring stick. If you have it more often than not, you're probably okay. If you still want to get tested, when you do get tested, run as many hormones surrounding testosterone, including luteinizing hormone, including sex hormone binding globulin. And I'll just add one more to the mix. I can try to explain it if you want, but it gets a little more complicated. But it's prolactin. High prolactin in a man will bottom out testosterone. So is it prolactin related to, man, you know what? I'm with you on all the other ones. Could you just maybe briefly go into why? Because I've had several panels. Prolactin was definitely not on there. Oh, no, no. It, it rarely is. Prolactin is another pituitary hormone made from the, the anterior pituitary. And prolactin, as the name would suggest, many of these uh, pituitary hormones, <laughs> well, they were identified in women first, like right. luteinizing hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, those were in women first. Prolactin is prolactation. Prolactation, uh, right. So in women, prolactin increases milk production and oxytocin is let down for the baby to nurse. But prolactin is also found in men, and it's one of these hormones that it's important and we need it. It's there for a reason. But in high amounts, it tends to shut down testosterone production. They're negatively correlated, if you want to put it that way, that when prolactin is up, testosterone is down. And generally, when testosterone is up, prolactin will be down. So when it's high, then it tends to lower luteinizing hormone and testosterone production. Interesting. And I'd love for you to give some recommendations on where to get tested. But we just ask, hey, run a prolactin test as well. Yeah, well, here's a couple things on that. So one, To get all those hormones run on a blood chemistry is going to be really expensive. Also, if somebody's using insurance, doctors have to prove, and it's a really crappy situation now in the medical world. I mean, and it's it's nobody's fault. People blame doctors. People blame insurance companies. We are to fault as well, to be honest with you. It's a really bad situation. Yeah, eating poorly and living a lifestyle that just isn't conducive to health. 
Well, and also to that, I will say that we're not even willing to spend money out of pocket, that if it's not covered by copay or insurance, that we're not willing to do it. And, you know, but yet we'll spend however much money on a new, you know, Wii console or fancy car or a morning Starbucks latte, Supreme, whatever. Um, <laughs> but we're not going to spend $200 on ourselves, or we'll spend $1,000 on our pet, but not on ourselves. So it's everybody's fault. But doctors have to prove to an insurance company that whatever they're doing, and the quote is medically necessary. So if a guy comes in and is like, listen, I'm suffering from low testosterone symptoms, I can't maintain muscle in the gym, my sex life sucks, I would like to run my hormones. The doctor might say, okay, let's run testosterone. But if the patient says, I want to add these other hormones, the doctor is likely, unless they're really savvy, is probably going to say no. I don't see, if the guy says, how about prolactin, the doctor might say, well, squeeze your nipples and if anything comes out of it, then maybe I'll run it. But if it has any kind of discharge, you don't have to have hyperprolactinemia in order to have nipple discharge. Hyperlactin alone can do this. So chances are a doctor probably won't run those. So what I do recommend then is there's a salivary hormone testing. And it's been proven in studies that it's a valid way of measuring hormones. For $200, you can run most of the hormones that I said. And you can run androstenedione, you can run cortisol, you can run DHEA, you can run all three estrogens, progesterone, testosterone, DHT. And most companies don't offer luteinizing hormone in saliva. But you can run all those hormones for under 200 bucks. On a blood chemistry, you're probably looking at five, six, seven hundred dollars to run those. Wow, not big not difference. By insurance. It's a huge difference. And prolactin and the pituitary hormones are probably best on a blood chemistry. So, yeah, unless you have a really good relationship with a doctor, then it will be hard to run some of those. The other option is, I will say, is if people are interested in blood, most states, it's legal to go online and find what are called direct-to-consumer labs. One of the more popular ones is called directlabs.com. Okay. Anybody, I'll have that in the notes. Yeah. Oh, directlabs.com. And there are more. They're popping up all over the place. But these are direct-to-consumer labs where patients, and it's really a sweet deal, man. I'll tell you. You can run anything that you want. They have all the stuff. It's out of pocket. You have to pop your credit card in, but you can run whatever you want. It's totally off the record. It's not, insurance companies don't know that you're doing it. So your premiums don't go up and you can order whatever you want. And basically what it works is you go to directlabs.com, choose the panel, choose the markers, whatever, pay for it. You get a PDF requisition in your email that you take down to the local lab corps, which is the biggest lab in the US, get your blood drawn and then you get the results, that's it. Now, it helps to have somebody that can help interpret it for you, but you can get these things if you want. And it's out of pocket, but again, what is your health worth to you? So those exist. And some of those companies also have saliva testing as well. Excellent. So we can get our hormones tested. We can get it through the doctor, through our blood being taken, which is going to be very expensive. And you may run into an issue where your doctor doesn't want to do certain things because he can't justify it to the insurance company. Or we could do something on our own, like you said, with directlabs.com. I'll have that in the show notes. Sorry to interrupt you. What yeah, I of course. Say is places like directlabs.com, if you were to go to your doctor and let's say get the whole hormone panel that I mentioned, if the insurance company doesn't cover it, it's probably about $700. 
Direct Labs gets a deal, a discount with LabCorp. So that exact same panel might only be, you know, a couple hundred bucks. So getting it through the blood isn't always expensive. If you go through the doctor and it's not covered by insurance, it's really expensive. But if you just want to circumvent that, go to directlabs.com as one example. You can get steeply discounted labs that are far below the cost that you would pay if you went through the doctor. Okay, well, all right. So we know where to get our blood taken or maybe we opt for the salivary test. What do we do once we get it? Because if I go back to my doctor, he's going to be like, well, yeah, you know, I was too busy playing golf and seeing 100 patients a day at my work. You have low testosterone. Do you want a patch or not? Right? Yeah. And the other problem is, is they don't respect numbers on a blood chemistry that are not outside of the lab range. That's what they're most interested in is, are these things pathological? Is there some disease process that's going on? Does this guy have a testosterone producing tumor and his testosterone's through the roof or something like that? So if it's not outside of the lab range, then they aren't really going to pay much attention to it. And with something really quick, Brian, you had mentioned before, I mean, this was something I read many years ago, that the values that each lab uses to determine whether you're inside the normal range or outside, they kind of vary. Is that still the oh, situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It varies based on the lab. It varies based on, because in that's a bigger conversation, but the labs use, they kind of use these, I don't want to say test kits, but a company will develop a way of measuring a certain analyte, like let's just say testosterone. And then this lab that figures out this way to measure this analyte, like testosterone, will try to then sort of sell it, if you will, to somewhere like LabCorp or Quest. And the lab that sells it is the one that comes up with the reference range. That's one way of doing it. Other more kind of common markers, the lab companies will base, it's a little hard to follow, will create the reference ranges based on the blood that they're receiving for a certain geographic location, which is to say that glucose in Maryland might be normal, might be 65 to 100. If you go somewhere like in New Mexico, you know, with a high Native American population and a lot of type 2 diabetes, their glucose range might actually be quite a bit higher. Instead of from 65 to 100, it might be something like 65 to 110. If you go to San Diego, where there's a lot of hypoglycemics, <laughs> the low end of glucose is not 65, but maybe it's 45. So there's a lot of variance when it comes to reference ranges. They're based on blood that's coming to the labs which means that it's based on people going to the doctors, which basically means it's people that aren't sick in the first place. Healthy people don't usually wake up and say, hey, I feel great. I'm going to go get my blood work today. <laughs> usually people wake up and be like, man, I felt like shit for the past six months. Maybe it's time I go to the doctor. And that's where they're making these lab ranges from. So the lab ranges are really good at catching some kind of pathological disease but they're not so good at catching these slight fluctuations or shifts in physiology that can absolutely manifest themselves as symptoms, but it's not classified as a disease. And so the doctor, when they look at these labs, will probably for a normal healthy guy will say, eh, that looks like nothing's wrong with you, you know, just make sure you're eating right and exercising. Oh, and by the way, you know, I can maybe give you the patch if you want. Right, so, right. That's the trick, you know, and everything we've talked about, I think is pretty easy. The hardest part is finding somebody that can help you interpret these things. You can go online and some forums and some websites, they may have sort of optimal ranges for these things. And it doesn't take a brilliant person to see you know, 
androstene diodes on the high side, testosterone's on the low side, therefore my andro's not converting over to testosterone. I mean, that's really about as, as difficult as it is. But that's the hardest part is finding somebody that's knowledgeable in this, that's willing to look sort of inside the reference range, to look for patterns and to try to figure out really what's going on. That's the hard part. And, but, and uh, Dr. Brian, let's interject here really quick. And for those listeners who are interested in working with you personally, are you taking clients? And if so, where should they contact you? That's a good question. Taking on new patients is a little bit limited at the moment. Well, the people that I tend to see are typically fairly, I want to say, complex cases that have been to a number of other doctors and haven't really figured themselves out. The typical email that I don't respond to is, my testosterone's low, can you give me some suggestions? <laughs> because <laughs> that, I can't help that. They're obviously not invested enough in themselves. Well, I'm not talking about those people who just want to get information out of you for free. What about people no, who... Even that, but even the emails that I respond to are the ones that honestly are usually a few paragraphs long. That basically says, you know, here's who I am. Here's my health history. You know, I've been suffering from X, Y, and Z for the past five years. I've gone on these supplements and it made me feel worse. I've tried these medications and it helped a little bit, but I don't want to be on medications. And really to invest a lot into the email, if that makes sense, even the beginning email, just in the beginning saying, this is who I am. This is what I've tried. I followed a paleo style diet. So somebody that's already doing the right stuff, they're already exercising, they're already eating maybe even better than I am. Like those are the ones that I tend to like to help. So I'm hopefully getting a new website soon, but the current one is Dr. Just Dr. Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, P as in Paul Walsh, W-A-L-S-H.com. It's an abysmal website that I've done nothing with for about five years now, but my contact information's on there and people can get a hold of me that way. Great. And that will be in the show notes. And I think this is a good time to mention as well, before we move on, that you're actually doing a course or you've already put together a course i forgot the name but could you just talk about it where people can look at it the newer one yeah the one that i just got an email for was metabolic yeah metabolicfitnesspro.com yes yeah it's more for fitness professionals and health professionals essentially what it is well this speaks to what we were talking about at the beginning of this call the thing that i man, this gets me so frustrated, like on a visceral level on the inside, is when professionals are spouting out misinformation that talking about cholesterol or whatever it might be, and it's all over the internet. And I've heard very well-known people in different industries, fitness and health and otherwise, in front of thousands of people say something that is it's not even physiologically wrong, it's anatomically wrong. They're just, they don't even know what they're talking about and they have no right to be talking about some of these things because then other people hear it and they start talking about it and then it goes around. So what I'm doing with Metabolic Fitness Pro is trying to help educate fitness professionals and and certain health professionals on really what the science is in the first place. The first level is about 20 hours and it's just nutritional biochemistry. And biochemistry, I don't know. I think it turns a lot of people off, but it's such an awesome, exciting subject. It's basically what goes on inside of the cells. And so it's this whole course, 20 hours or so, just on biochemistry, the different pathways, the different enzymes, the different nutrients that are required for those enzymes. And then the 
second level is physiology. So once you know what happens inside of the cells, then we'll talk about how the body works outside of the cells. So, you know, the kidneys and the heart and muscles and the neurons and the nervous system and go into physiology. And then when people understand biochemistry and physiology, then we can start talking about lab testing and how to really interpret some of these pretty awesome tests that are out there. So that's at metabolicfitnesspro.com. Great. If you're a health or fitness professional, you need to look into that if you want to be able to help your clients in a way that maybe even some, I mean, I hesitate to say this, but maybe in some ways that a doctor can't. Which brings me back to what we were talking about before. I have two follow-up questions on the blood chemistry. One has to do with levels. I actually work with a Cynogenics trained uh, physician. He's actually a plastic surgeon who learned Cynogenics, which is an anti-aging slash hormone replacement place. And they test a lot of these things. And if you look at what they've redone the values for what they believe is optimal and mm -hmm. you know the normal testosterone uh, i forget what it was on my test but it was like if you're 300 to say a thousand you're normal which is pretty big range right. and what they've done they've tightened it up and said anywhere from 600 to 1200 i may be a little off on the numbers but it was basically if you're not at 600 to 1200 you're low right in fact if you go there and you're 500 or you know just slightly below that level they're like hey we need to boost you up what do you feel about those arbitrary numbers could i have lower testosterone than the next guy but man you know i wake up with an erection every morning i have good energy levels and maybe the next guy doesn't have those things but he tests higher in testosterone is is that something that happens or Totally. Okay. So, yeah. So there's a lot of things to that. So one, you said arbitrary range. That's one thing you'd want to look into. So are these ranges, and it's possible that they are, and I'm not opposed to something like that, but is it based, did they find some study somewhere that showed higher than what are considered to be normal levels of testosterone were associated with improved mood, muscle mass, strength, sex drive, you know, all those different things. So it may be, and there are studies like that out there. So is it arbitrary or not is the first big question. Because if it is, and they're recommending some kind of testosterone booster, then you have to really be skeptical of that. There, I mean, in other words, if they're trying to sell you something else, they want people to fall below that range so that they can actually sell it to you. So one, is it arbitrary or is it not? Is it based on science and how good is the science? Two is, as I've hopefully elucidated during or illustrated during this conversation, is it's not just about testosterone. It's about the balance of all the other hormones. I said it earlier, a guy can have normal testosterone but high estrogen and he's going to have low testosterone symptoms. A guy can have high DHT and he can very much have low testosterone symptoms. So it's not just about one hormone, it's about all of them and their ratios and their balance, if you will. But then that doesn't even speak to, you know, the health of an individual. So like you said, can a guy have high testosterone but feel like crap? Sure. There's total testosterone. There's free testosterone. Maybe his total's high and his free's low. Maybe the receptors aren't working well as well as one would like. Maybe there's other issues going on. And yeah, I mean, I have seen panels of guys that had lower than optimal levels, if you will, of testosterone 
they had no complaints at all. They were happy, healthy, kicked ass in the gym, sexually happy. So it's not just about that. That's why you have to take the whole picture into account. What are their symptoms? What do the labs say? And in the labs, what does everything say? You know, I mean, if a guy has high testosterone, but his blood sugar is all over the place and insulin's all over the place, then he's probably not going to feel the benefits of that higher than normal testosterone. So that's why the whole picture has to really be looked at and not just focused on this one hormone, which I think is one of the major shortcomings of some of these labs and some of these companies. It's not just about testosterone. It's about the health of the entire body, which is, you know, how we started out this conversation. Yeah, no, well put. And you're painting a picture so that if you're listening now, you're getting a better education in what it means, what the functional measures of whether your hormones are off or not, and that it's not just about testosterone. It's about a balance of hormones. But if it is about testosterone, you have to figure out exactly where it's coming from. Is it a problem with the brain and the luteinizing hormone? Or is it that you're maybe converting too much of it into a different hormone? You really have to look at what's going on, the nuts and bolts. And you know what I like about how you're saying it is it's very like mechanical. It's not magic, right? It's just like going, taking your car to the mechanic and figuring out, okay, well, there's a problem with the engine. Well, is it this or is it that? I mean, I'm no car guy, but (laughs) you have to really understand what it is. If it's just a bad tube or is it something else anyway? So really understanding the underlying mechanisms involved in hormones and what makes us feel great. Yeah, Brian, I mean, we've talked about this for over an hour and I'm so grateful. Can you talk a little bit more or Yeah, sure. You know, as you were talking, one thing that came to mind is if I didn't have any scruples or integrity at all, why not open up a testosterone clinic? I mean, you could make a shitload of money on these guys that if all you're doing is looking at testosterone and, you know, seeing it low and then you have your supplements or your drugs or whatever it is to give. But I couldn't sleep at night if I did. I could make a ton of money and you could write a book, you know, the testosterone factor or whatever the hell the name of the book is. And it's just a bunch of drivel. What I'm talking about today is honest as I possibly can. And listen, as humans, I think it's human nature to want a quick and easy answer, you know, that we're mentally a little bit lazy. And so we do want that supplement, that one thing that's going to make the difference or that one diet or, you know, like what exercise do I, can I do every day to boost? And honestly, it's not really about that, that it's the health of the entire body. We're a system, an organism, I should say, of a number of different systems that you can break apart, but ultimately are all working together pretty synergistically. So if there's gut dysfunction, so if there's dysbiosis, if you can't digest your nutrients, your testosterone is probably not going to be optimal. You know, if you have excess inflammation, like I said, or excess free radicals, or let's say your immune system is not doing what it should, your testosterone is not going to be optimal. This is not, you go to the clinic, you run your testosterone, maybe another hormone, you're low and you get a patch or get a gel or you get a supplement and the alternative world isn't any better. If they do that same thing but have their testosterone boosting supplement. So as you were talking, I was reflecting on that saying, you know, I could make a shitload of money (laughs) if I just was like, everything is about this one thing. But I can't because that's not the truth and that's not how it works. And I don't care what anybody says. That's not how it works in guys. And you have to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. And I appreciate you so much for being one of those people who is not only trying to bridge the gap between 
mainstream medicine and alternative medicine, but also bringing a level of integrity and really checking yourself on the science and being accurate. And man, you know, I've never spoken with you before, but you are just able to articulate this very complex topic in a way that I know that I'm understanding and everyone else listening is getting a more clear picture of what's going on. So we don't have to be subject to or allowed ourselves to be manipulated by those people who are just trying to make money by, oh yeah, your low testosterone, slap a patch on you. That'll be a couple hundred bucks a month. You come back in, we'll do your blood chemistry and a more, a couple hundred more bucks a month, or these people selling the supplements. Like you said, it's a mess out there. Everybody's wanting to make money, which there's nothing wrong with that. You got to have integrity and you've got to actually be helping people. And a lot of people are just trying to play off fears and make some money off of that, which isn't really helping us, helping our health. And it's not helping getting really good information. And like you're trying to bridge the gap, Brian, I'm trying to bridge the gap between having like people like yourself with a really strong scientific understanding of health to come and talk about it, who aren't just, you know, selling the testosterone factor book. So I really appreciate it, man. I'd love to finish up on just some other things. I know you've mentioned everything so far about just overall taking care of your health, sleep, stress, fulfillment, happiness in life, making sure we don't have any deficiencies, although that's kind of hard to figure out because you said vitamin mineral tests don't really work that well. You painted a really great picture of understanding the different hormones and how they're involved and how it's really about balance. It's not about getting testosterone as high as possible or estrogen as low as possible. What else can we maybe do besides seeing a professional like yourself? What can we do to experiment if we are having some of those issues? Well, you spoke to this earlier. You know, I mean, are there, I'm not going to say that there's testosterone boosting foods, but because again, it's mechanistic is what it is, where to turn cholesterol into testosterone is a multi-enzymatic step that requires, again, the right nutrients like zinc. You know, I made an argument for selenium, not because selenium is involved in the pathway, but because selenium is involved in antioxidant and antioxidants. If you have too much oxidative stress, then that will impact it, which like I said, I'm just to come back to this. I read a study that the guy basically said the age related decline in testosterone is probably not due to testosterone decline, but because of excess reactive oxygen species or oxidative stress. So, you know, you can't underestimate that. I mean, it's about, you know, one of the things and guys are horrible at at journaling and, and admittedly, I hate even the sound of that. But, you know, to have some document going, that's all it is, is just a rating scale on a bunch of things on a day-to-day basis. And I never tell people specifically what, because we all have our thing, but to write down five or six different things that you're going to rate every single day, mood, energy, sleep, dream quality, or vividity, or whatever you want to call it. And morning Uh, erection. Morning erections, bowel habits, whatever it is, like, you know, happiness towards one's wife or like whatever your measurement is, it's fine. And I don't think there's a correct one because, again, we have what are uh, more important to us. And then also write down, you know, what changes people are making because the thing that I have found, and again, I'm horrible. I hate to like write this crap down or journal or whatever you want to call it, but is we forget very quickly how we felt not very long ago and in order to and finding patterns 
that correlate with how we feel. And there's no way that we could keep in mind with everything that we do to find these patterns. Like, holy shit, every time I eat tomatoes, three days later, my mood drops or my energy drops, or my acne breaks out. Like, you're not going to put together tomatoes three days ago with your migraine today. You know what I mean? So right. if somebody is going to self-experiment, which I'm all for, man. I, listen, I self-experiment with I mean, all the time. You know, like, let's try a ketogenic diet. Let's try this type of diet. Let's, it's fun. It gets rid of the boredom of life, I think. But it's to keep track of this stuff. So if you want to add Brazil nuts or pumpkin seeds or try tribulus or do any of these things, keep a note of it. Keep track of how you're feeling. And you may notice that two weeks ago, you felt either better or worse than you do today. And then you look to see what the change was. Did cutting out coffee improve that? And I'm not saying coffee's bad. I quite like it myself. But but just as an example, if you get a hunch like, you know what, I think I'm drinking too much coffee or I think I'm drinking too much Red Bull or Coke or soda or whatever it might be, and you cut it out, you got to track your symptoms, man, because we will not. And in fact, I can't even tell you how many times a patient two or three months later will say, you know, I don't know that I'm really feeling that much better, you know, on your program. But I do pre and post symptom questionnaires and it's rated on a scale. And I can pull it out of their file and say, look at what you scored then and look at what you score today. You are feeling better. You know, they go from a five to an eight, for example, or whatever it might be. We forget how we feel. It's not our fault. I think we have too much to pay attention to. So to experiment, try different macronutrient ratios in your food. If you're not eating a lot of fat, eat more fat. If you're eating a lot of carbs, cut back on the carbs. You know, if you don't eat red meat, try eating red meat. You know, if you're not a vegetarian. If you're vegetarian and it's not for spiritual reasons or political, try being not a vegetarian for a couple of weeks. If you're a carnivore, hell, try being a vegetarian for a couple of weeks. Just, you know, play around until you find your own personal sweet spot. Try taking multivitamin and that's the only change you make. And track it for two weeks. Do you feel better after taking a multivitamin? And if so, keep it. If not, ditch it and try a different one or try doing a detoxification program. But again, track your symptoms, track how you feel so that you know if something's working or not. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And most people are really, I feel like I'm really good at making correlations between things. But even I have, I'm like, man, I totally dropped the ball on that. Even I make some big mistakes sometimes. And yeah, most people I find are really terrible from dealing with hundreds of clients and me working with their nutrition and trying to help them as much as I can. And yeah, so Brian, that's such a great point, man. Journal what's happening. And it, yeah, you don't need to start with my dear diary. No, just God start, <laughs> start with some measures. Like you said, Brian, the bowel movement, all that stuff that he listened, go back and listen to it again if you need to. And just start journaling what you do and the results of it. That's what good science is for that matter. You know, every chemistry experiment, we'd have to document what we did and what the results were. And I mean, that's just good science with every experiment. So take that approach. If you're really serious about getting your health back and journaling some of this stuff and seeing if you can't find some correlations that it may not be the cause, but at least you can start to put a picture together instead of flying blind saying, oh man, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. 
And what I hear you saying, Brian, is there's always a reason for being up, being down, and we need to do some introspection and journaling to figure out what it is that's causing those ups and downs. Well, as much as you can, you know, I mean, at the same time, we live in a universe and there's so many influences of us, you know, like whether it's the geomagnetic pole of our geographical location, whether it's the weather, whether it's if, you know, mercury is in retrograde or whatever it might be, there's actually too many influences to probably really be able to pinpoint something. But is that really true? Mercury in retrograde? I I have no fucking idea. I don't know. (laughs) People use these things. But, you know, interesting that the moon circles around the earth every 28 days and that's you know a female's length of her cycle you know for example there are influences out there but as much as there is we can actually you know there's a lot that we can measure we can look at like our sleep and our diet and see if there's any correlation between when we go to sleep and I mean again maybe if you go to bed at 10 instead of 1 after a week, you notice that you do start having morning erections. That's a huge thing to correlate or, you know, diet or whatever it is. There's enough variables that you can investigate that you can start to find patterns. And I will be honest, that's better than any doctor, including myself, could ever do for somebody because, you know, we might be good at looking at labs and making certain recommendations and, and supplements or whatever. There's no way that we could find those patterns. And often those patterns exist, you know, it, Ever since I've been with this girl, whatever, you know, my skin breaks out. Well, maybe, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like these patterns exist and we have to look at them. But to do so means to take some step back and not get so into our life. But look at these things. So anyways, I think that's one of the best things because what diet works for one person might not work for another when it comes to testosterone. But how do you know unless you experiment? And I love what you just said in chemistry, because no chemist would not document what they did, including what the result was. That's the whole point of it. So what you're doing is a scientific inquiry into yourself, and you're trying to you know, modify variables and measure the outcomes. It's a scientific experiment. You are the scientific experiment. And the only way you can know is if you track what you did, what you're doing, and what the results are. Yeah. Awesome. I love that advice. And, you know, Brian, one more thing, you know, we've talked about how zinc can play a part in testosterone production. If you're deficient in it, magnesium is another thing. Selenium is something you mentioned. Vitamin D is something that I've read about, though we haven't talked about it. What about like, for example, I read another thing talking about zinc and having people who supplemented with zinc had a higher chance of developing aggressive prostate cancer. I've also read about selenium that you can have selenium toxicity and even some people who are not really quite as educated as you on this subject, they recommend, oh, only have three, like Tim Ferriss, for example. I love Tim. I love his message and everything. And he's, you know, doesn't purport to be or doesn't position himself as an expert in science. But he says only have three Brazil nuts a day because of the amount of selenium. And some other people say that as well. We know that there is also toxicity for vitamin D, magnesium as well. What, I mean, 
that got me scared, especially about the zinc, because I noticed a difference from popping zinc. I'm, I must be deficient in it or something going on because I noticed such a big difference. But man, I do not want aggressive prostate cancer. Yeah. Well, gosh, this is, you know, you keep asking these questions. There's not a <laughs> quick and easy answer. I'll just say this. Again, it's myopic, I think, to consider a single nutrient in isolation from all the rest. And I've actually done quite a bit of my own research, you know, not in a lab, but just looking at PubMed and and studies on this very topic. And zinc supplementation by itself can and will likely cause a copper deficiency, for example. Well, it does. It creates a relative copper deficiency, meaning you still have copper, but it's trapped inside of your intestinal cells that when you take excess zinc, for example. So it's really easy to create a deficiency. I should say, if you want to create a deficiency in certain nutrients, take high levels of other nutrients. There's other ones. Vitamin, I've seen a couple studies that suggest if you take even a tiny bit of folic acid, that you can create a relative vitamin B12 deficiency or vice versa. So I am not, and I'll, well, let me give you some context to this. So I gave you my history a long time ago. Yeah. I would devour, you know, all these books, these lay people's books that said, you need, you know, 50 milligrams of zinc a day and you need to take X number of milligrams of all these different B vitamins. And my supplement shelf was, was out of control, just out of control. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's embarrassing to think about how much I was taking at a time and how much money I was spending on all these things. And of course, you read something else, you know, like acetyl L-carnitine. And the next thing you know, you don't replace what you're taking, you add to it. So next thing you know, you have like 20 or 30 bottles of supplements. So I've lived there. I've done that. But when I've delved deeply into this subject, I come out of it wondering what the hell we're doing sometimes taking these even high-dose multivitamins because calcium and magnesium compete for absorption, for example, in the intestines. And many of the, I shouldn't even say that, many of the minerals actually compete for absorption across the intestines. And so you can't mess around when you ingest a lot of these things as food. I don't think somebody can overdo Brazil nuts necessarily. I mean, you could, you can go crazy with them, but three a day, that's just looking at what the RDA is for selenium and how much is actually in them. So I'm always suspicious, even vitamin D, especially vitamin D, of taking a single isolated nutrient by itself and not considering the other ones that it works really closely with. Zinc works closely with copper. Zinc can work with vitamin B6 to some degree. And so... I say, and it's not sexy, which is why I'm not writing any books on this, but food first, you know, just eat a really clean, whole food, ideally organic diet as much as is possible and is not stress producing for somebody. And that's a pretty good place to start. Then I recommend usually a food-based multivitamin multi-mineral complex. And I say food-based because there's some evidence that synthetic vitamins may not be the hottest thing for us. It's probably not going to kill us, but I think food-based ones are, are a lot lower in their potency. So we're not getting these super physiological doses of these things. And I think that that's a pretty solid place to start just to kind of cover your bases. Now, I'm not sure if that answered your question. Absolutely. You asked a loaded question. It gets really hairy (laughs) when you start looking at nutrient competition, either for absorption or once it's inside your body and creating relative deficiencies of other things. So I've taken loads of zinc back in the day when I thought that that was what you did to take to boost your testosterone, like, you know, 12 years ago, whenever it was. But I wouldn't do that today because there's an order and like, what do I want to call it? Sort of synergistic process 
I should say symphonic process with all these different nutrients and how they work together. And, and we're learning more and more how these things actually work all the time and how they compete and how they interact and how they displace other nutrients. So I'm actually not a big fan of doing that myself. And I think that the length that somebody did it, they may be doing more harm than good in the long run. Interesting. So be very careful about maxing out on these doses of vitamins, whether synthetic, it's better to go with whole food based vitamins if you can. And okay, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, that's what this show is for to ask the tough questions and to really figure stuff out. Otherwise, you know, we'd, uh, yes, this is the answer, right? We just get that guy on here plug in the testosterone factor. Well, and listen, <laughs> with everything that I'm saying, I will quickly say I don't have the answers. Everything that I've said, unless it's based on a study and I'm quoting a study or unless I'm talking about a, an established and understood pathway, you know, a lot of this stuff is my opinion, man. And it, it's an opinion based on years in practice, years of reading just incredible amounts of information and thinking about these things too. I mean, that's a big part of this also. But you know what? At the end of the day, I haven't met anybody that's right all the time in every single situation, including myself. You know, I mean, what we know today, you know, science never proves much, but it usually disproves what we previously believed. So that means that what we believe today is probably going to be disproven again. And I think one of the biggest errors that people can say is, and I've heard this, is they'll say, we used to think that X, Y, and Z, but now we know that, I'm like, wait a minute, it was a belief back then and it's a belief now and what you believe is going to be disproven in the future. So I never tell anybody to take my word for it, that it's based, this is my opinion. I stick by my opinion because it's based on my own research, thinking and experience. But listen, man, I mean, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. And anybody that claims that they have the answers to these things, personally, I would run the other way because it's anybody's best guess. So I just want people to know that I'm not saying this is gospel. You know, are whole food vitamins the way to go? I think they are. And I have rationale for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody officially knows. So I need to make sure that's clear because I'm no guru. I'm no expert. I love this stuff. I love to read about it and try to piece things together, ultimately to help people. But yeah, so I, I just needed to throw that out there. Well, in an industry full of people who are claiming to have the way or to claim that there's been so many studies done and this has to be it. It's like, it's nice to hear that perspective. I was just talking about that the other day where, like you said, we thought we knew something. Then a couple decades later, boom. It turns out that it wasn't the whole picture or it was completely wrong. And how many of those things that we believe right now are going to change? I mean, you have to keep an open mind and not get too, yeah, don't believe too much into your stuff. And I, I appreciate you saying that, Brian, comes from a place of really, uh, you know, there's a saying that the more confident someone is about these complex things, they're probably not quite as smart. So we appreciate oh my that. God. Well, that's how I feel about it. Well, you know, you even look at the body, they've had to rename things because some enzyme or some hormone did something else than they previously believed. I mean, that just proves you we're constantly learning new things like vitamin D, the active form is calcitriol, which tells you that when they initially discovered it, it they knew it was about calcium. 
well, now there's a lot of the things that vitamin D does. So anyways, no, it's constantly changing. We're constantly proving ourselves wrong. And so for anybody to claim that they have the answer, they have the way is, again, that's just ignorant to me because in 50 years, people are going to be laughing at these overly confident people that said that they had the answer to something. Yeah. And Brian, I'd love to ask you one more thing. I appreciate your being super generous with your time and your knowledge and wisdom here. I would like to just go into maybe briefly the types of chemicals that we could get out of our bathrooms or kitchens, wherever we're using this stuff, out of our grooming products. What do we need to be aware of with what we're exposed to in terms of chemicals? Okay. So earlier on when I said, I'll tell you that story later, this is specifically what it was. Now, I was reading a textbook. There's so much information out there. There's no way to get to all of it. But this textbook was not on men. It was not on the testes. It was a 500-page textbook only on Leydig cells, just the testosterone, wow. just on one fucking cell. They had a 500 pages worth of information to talk about. I mean, that's how much information is out there, man. And that's why there's just so much, and it's so hard to get to. But that's also, I mean, there's stuff that's out there that nobody's reading. So I was reading this textbook, and I came up on this table, this chart, that had, it was chemicals that, okay, let me just take one step back. So imagine cholesterol turning into testosterone. Let's just say that's a 10 enzyme step, meaning cholesterol to pregnenolone, there's an enzyme. Pregnenolone to DHEA is another enzyme. What this table had was every single enzyme, like if it's a 10-step process, all 10 enzymes, and it had listed next to it the chemicals that have been shown to downregulate that enzyme, to disrupt that particular enzyme. And I looked at this chart, and again, I tend to have kind of foul language, but I was like, oh my fucking God. Like, I'd never seen this before. And multiple, multiple compounds for one enzymatic step. So that means the mitochondria pull cholesterol into them with a certain enzyme. There was like five or six different compounds that disrupted that one step. Then once the cholesterol was in the mitochondria, there was another enzymatic step. They had another like six or seven compounds that disrupted that specific step. And I looked at that, I was like, holy crap. You know, this right here, I think, is one of the major things that we're seeing when it comes to low testosterone in men today. Because we do know that there's a shitload of synthetic chemicals in our environment. Yes. We don't know what our own individual exposure is to those. The studies that have been done suggest that we're all exposed to some degree. Now, your lifestyle, a certain amount of genetic tendencies, where you live, what you do for your job, those are all going to relate. And what kind of food you eat, organic or not, or whatever. So we know that there's a lot out there. That's for sure. We don't know how much we're each individually exposed to. We don't know... In many cases, what most of these things do, in fact, it's only the big ones like the PCBs and phthalates and some of these antifungal or plasticizers or surfactants, the big ones that have been around for a while, right. we know a little bit physiologically what they do, but we also have no idea what the synergistic uh, results inside of one's body that multiple chemicals will do. They'll study one chemical at a time and look at its function or, you know, what it disrupts. And actually, I can't quote you on this study. It was, it was more about estrogen components. But there was one research study 
was the first, and they even admitted that this was the, the first type of study. They tried three, it was a mouse study, but they had three different estrogenic chemicals and found that even in fairly low levels, the combination of the three had a more potent effect than any one of those things individually, which Ooh. is logical, but it was the first study to ever suggest this. So you asked about the chemicals and all these other things we're using. We don't know the effects of these chemicals on testosterone synthesis. We do know some of them, like I said, the big ones, the PCBs and some of the metals like cadmium and lead and arsenic and all these different things. So does that make sense that there's a ton out there it's in most of us. We don't know the effects of most, a lot of them. We do know the effects of some, and we don't have any idea what the synergistic effects of some of these are. But this table was phenomenal when I saw it, that it listed out every enzymatic step of testosterone synthesis, and next to each one of those steps was at least five different compounds known to disrupt that step. So that to me, this reactive oxygen species, chemical toxin exposure, I think is a huge player. Personally, I have nothing to back that up, but I think it's a huge player in the decline in testosterone that we see today, if that makes sense. Yeah. So then your question is, is what do you do? Yes. Clean up your life. I mean, that's it. Like, listen, I know that, you know, natural deodorant, unfortunately, keeps you smelling natural, which isn't necessarily a good thing. (laughs) You know, chemical cleansers, they work better. Like, there's no doubt about it, man. Like, you know, my wife and I are both naturopaths. We have four kids, all under the age of six, incidentally. Oh, I'll tell you a funny study about that. Remind me to tell you a funny study about that. About kids and chemicals? or Kids and men and testosterone. Okay. So, and we live a pretty clean life, but I'll be honest, sometimes you have to break out the chemical cleanser because it's going to clean up the greasy table from all your kids' hands better than vinegar will or whatever it might be. So the goal is, is to try to clean up your life as much as possible. So is that in your cosmetics and toiletries and toothpaste and hair stuff, the cleansers, the cleaning products that you're using? Whatever. Like, I don't buy organic clothes. I can tell you. I think that's a little bit it's too crazy <laughs> to me. We all have our, like, level of comfort. So, no. Like, I wash my clothes after I buy them because who knows what the hell is on them. But I don't go that far. So, I think to just realize that it's all around us, it's totally pervasive, and to try to cut it, stuff out as much as we possibly can. The second one is, and this gets into kind of some, you know, I don't want to call it pseudoscience, but like a detoxification program. And I don't even like calling it that. In the liver, we have what are called biotransformation or detoxification pathways. And quite simply, and not in pseudoscience, that is taking a, a compound, and it could be a hormone, by the way, putting it through what's called phase one and phase two biotransformation pathways so that the body can excrete it. And that's true of a lot of different chemicals as well. There are things that people can do that can increase their liver's ability to biotransform these toxic chemicals. If somebody feels like maybe they're accumulated too much of this stuff, there is no science supporting a nutritional detoxification program that I know of, but I can tell you that, and maybe it's placebo, but I can tell you that a lot of people report feeling a little bit better. And even if they don't feel better, maybe it's just a good thing to do. I don't know. I can't comment on it from a scientific perspective, but detoxification programs have been around for thousands of years in different areas of the world, and they've seen the value of it. I think there's something to it. I think we're more toxic than we've ever been, and that 
that somebody could make a strong argument or justification for doing such a thing. Yeah. So look into it. I'm with you, Brian. I mean, you know what? Experiment with it and see what happens. And if you feel better, maybe you're on to something. But like you said, I mean, there's a group of like rational skeptic type of people who, you know, they throw everything underneath the bus and man, I just shake my head when they talk about stuff because, you know, like you said, there's got to be something to it. Now, um, you know, again, the placebo effect, but sometimes that can be a lazy approach to figuring out what's truly going on. So what do you mean by de- detoxification? I mean, is there a book that you recommend or a protocol or um, no, what do you mean? Yeah. See, unfortunately, not really. I wish I could. There's so much out there, but the thing is, is there's not a lot of science on like pre and post sort of, you know, these detox programs. What is known is that certain nutrients or compounds are required for some of these, especially liver detoxification pathways, the liver enzymes and stuff. So phase one usually works pretty well in most people, but you need some B vitamins and I think vitamin C and a little bit of glutathione and some stuff for phase one. But phase two seems to be the thing that's most dysfunctional in people. And they have names like methylation. Well, you're going to need a methyl group or methyl donor for methylation pathways. There's glucuronidation. There's another one called amino acid conjugation. Certain amino acids like glycine help that pathway. There's glutathione conjugation. You need glutathione for that. Uh, There's sulfation. So you need sulfur-containing things like methionine, amino acid, or cysteine, or N-acetylcysteine. So... I don't get into a lot of these crazy detox programs, but the bottom line is, listen, I've seen some pretty freaking awesome stuff when it comes to, I have pre and post testing on hormone levels declining, which is a totally different thing. Like guys that have come in on androgel okay. and their hormone levels were just through the roof, man. Estrogen through the roof, testosterone through the roof, DHT through the roof and felt like shit. And the goal with them was to clear out all that extra androgel. And they hadn't been using it for six months and it was still accumulating in their system because they were rubbing it on their skin. I totally am opposed to androgel myself. Like I wouldn't take androgel. It's just too um, slow acting and it just it keeps accumulates, releasing. It accumulates in the skin and in the fat. And so mm. you're progressively getting this, this release. So I have seen pre and post testing on a number of patients, both female and male, on helping to clear out hormones when necessary, but hormones are cleared out the same pathway as as these chemicals. It's the same pathway. So I know that supporting phase two pathways can increase your body's ability in eliminating certain things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it Um, doesn't mean it's coming out of the cells. I have no idea. It doesn't mean it's going to lower your metal levels because I have no idea or your chemicals or any of that stuff. Like I said, to my knowledge, there's not any really solid scientific studies that have been done on those things. But I've seen it work on hormones. It's the same pathways. So you can support liver and gallbladder, you know, bile synthesis, bile release. Make sure the bowels are moving properly since that's how a lot of this stuff is excreted once it's gone through phase one and phase two. It's usually just a couple few supplements. It's nothing crazy. It doesn't have to cost hundreds of dollars. There are those out there. I believe in heat therapy or like sauna. I think to sweat stuff out is fantastic. But yeah, so like I think... Heat therapy. That is a good takeaway right there. If you're listening and you're wondering what to do, there you go. Make sure you sweat in some way. And if you go to a gym with a sauna, there you go. 
Sorry to interrupt, Brian. No, no, no. Use it. Sauning has been around forever, man. And again, the studies on are you actually getting rid of stuff, I don't know. But it's been around long enough, and it's been used in these protocols for a long time. If I belong to a gym, you better believe I'd be in the sauna. What a great resource to have. So anyways, Is team no, the same, by the way? Does it matter? Um, it's hard to say, but you have to wonder the quality of the water that is turning into steam. Ah, uh, you know, Good if it's tap point. water full of like chlorine, then that's becoming like aerosolized and then you might be inhaling it. So I would be more of a fan of like a dry heat sauna. Great points. Myself. Anyways, so yeah, I don't want to get into it too long. I mean, we've been on this for a while and I think at some point people might start getting bored of listening to me talk, but there are ways of supporting phase one, phase two, biotransformation in the liver. Like I said, you got to keep the bowels moving if you do that. Uh, there's a lot of other crazy detox programs out there. But just supporting phase one, phase two, bile and gallbladder function it seems to work pretty well. Excellent. Okay. Well, this was reminded of that study. So here's a study. So I have four kids under the age of six. And it just due to, well, we love our kids. We're not these like co-sleepers or any of these things. But it just so happens that we pretty much end up in the same bedroom every night. And my wife and I are fine with that. We love our kids. I don't mind. But the study came out and said that the proximity that a father sleeps to his children is negatively correlated with testosterone levels, meaning the closer a man sleeps to his children, the lower his testosterone. And I read that study. I was like, oh, crap, because my two-year-old daughter sleeps between my wife and I every single night. And I'm essentially like cuddling with my two-year-old. And I read that study. I'm like, fuck. I mean, my testosterone is probably like non existent. But on the other hand, we keep having kids. So I think I'm, I'm probably fine. But anyhow, so if testosterone is an issue for a guy and he sleeps close to his kids, you know, maybe put him in another room or something. Because that is so weird. Funny, right? Well, it makes sense. You don't want to, you know, if you're sleeping next to your kid, you don't want to have, let's just call it like, you know, sexual energy or whatever. It's kind of gross. So yeah, yeah, of course. So I think it's partly mother nature's doing. But yeah, no, I read that study and I was a little worried, but <laughs> apparently I'm doing fine. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, man, you know, Brian, thank you so much for spending all this time and helping us decipher all this complex information that, man, I think you're the most, I've talked to many, many knowledgeable people on this subject in particular. You are by far the most well-read, the most understanding of not just the studies involved, but the nuts and bolts, the biochemical pathways, which are really like you can use studies and that's great to understand things, but also understanding how things work and the steps it. involved. And man, it was just a pleasure to talk with you. Make sure you go check out Brian at his website, drbrianwalsh.com. That'll be in the show notes. If you're a fitness or health professional, you definitely want to check out his metabolicfitnesspro.com website. It looks amazing. It's on my list of things to do. As you can hear from Brian, he is just such a wealth of knowledge on this subject. And Brian, I wanted to talk to you about digestion, but man, that's got to be on another time for sure. And you mentioned water. I would love to hear your thoughts on all those things. So I'd love to have you back. Is there anything, any last words for the listeners on this stuff, where to find out more about what you do? 
Well, my website, there's a P between Brian and Walsh. It's drbrianpwalsh.com. It wasn't the best choice of URLs at the time, but yeah, I mean, they can, I have videos on YouTube. You can just search for Brian Walsh and probably come up with something. There's a Time Magazine journalist named Brian Walsh, same spelling, so he'll probably come up as well, but you can probably find out some of that stuff. No, the bottom line is, you know, I don't know the bottom. I'm still trying to figure out the bottom line in life. I think it just has to do with loving yourself, loving other people, being tolerant of yourself and others. And if you're not feeling well, it's not the end of the world. There's usually an answer somewhere and it just takes some experimentation and trying different things and until you figure it out, you know, I mean, I think that's our, all of our journeys as men, especially is, you know, being comfortable in our shoes, figuring out our place in this constantly changing world where we're having different demands placed on us as men, being comfortable with that, being comfortable with ourselves, being true to ourselves. And like I said, loving ourselves and loving others and hopefully having enough testosterone all along the way. Right. (laughs) Well stated, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, and most importantly, your time, Brian. Sure. I really appreciate it. I know all the listeners just got a dose of reality and education on what it really is to understand our testosterone, our hormonal levels in general, and what it takes to get things right. You've reached the end of another episode of The Man Project. Connect with us at manprojectpodcast.com. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free tools. See you next episode.